What's going on, y'all? I'm Brad. I'm Jeremy. And uh, we've been talking about things concerning reconciliation for a long time now. 20 years now. I'm white. I'm black. And we thought if we talked together about it in podcast form, it might serve some people. So let's, let's do talk it. about it. Broken and different, that's what we are. That's us. Blinded by chasing heaven's brightest star. Son, we going towards him. We run with limps. God, if God, you God, respond God. accordingly, you'll learn to hobble with, hobble with till we find where glory be. Where glory at? No pros or experts on this That's journey. We are just learning how Jesus, Jesus makes, makes art out of our life's debris. Hey, Brad. What's going on, Jeremy? What's up, man? Hey, if you don't mind, I got some ideas that have been running through my head. Um, I've kind of been working them out, like in rough draft form, want to run them by you and just see, see how it lands, see, oh, yeah. see what's going on. So, Let's talk about it. So I've been wrestling with the idea of like institutional memory. So how do you not as just as an individual, but maybe as an individual leader, affect something larger than yourself, an institution, an organization, a neighborhood, a country, <clears throat> um, that also touches the individuals of that domain um, what's your what's how do you do that what's the role in that is there a role uh, that Christians might be able to play in that place of institutional memory yeah um, and so uh, so a couple things I ran across that really got my thinking going was from this book sapiens now this dude is like hardcore not Christian uh, hardcore naturalist like he says some, he, he is taking naturalism to the nth degree like logical destinations kind of stuff so he's really interesting but he talks about like how uh, mammals organize in like little groups or domains or, or societies uh, like wolf pack, you okay. know, or elephant, whatever they call that, pod or whatever it is, you know, whale <laughs> pods. And it's there. there's actually a formula that it's the size of the grouping is somehow a ratio of their brain size to body mass. Mm. So there's a, there's a limitation of how big they can organize themselves based on how, how big their brain is, you know? And so, uh, you know, wolves have a certain size and elephants have a certain size of a group and apes have a certain size of group. And then humans, if you do the formula on humans, we actually can organize only around 120 to 150 people. Okay. That's it. That's the, the max size of our groupings. But we don't, you know? Like our closest relationships are really 120 to 150. That's called the Dunbar number. But once you exceed that, organizations, countries, neighborhoods, churches, they're all way bigger than that. I mm. mean, we organize ourselves and we say, I am American, you know? Sure. How is that even possible? Like, why are, we, are, why are we not just like little tribes of 120 bouncing off each other with our own little economies and we just like interface with each other, but we don't, we go a lot bigger. And so his theory is that there, there's this thing called um, this, the mechanism of narrative, that if you have a narrative you can create a story that large groups of people can buy into. Okay. And when they buy into it, they form symbols, which is basically a shorthand of a narrative. And they, they, they start uh, demonstrating practices that reinforce the narrative. But the primary mechanism is a narrative. So you have a story that says, like money. Money isn't real. You know, it, there's, there's, a, there's a narrative about a dollar bill. 
that we agree on and we believe in, yep. right? <clears throat> the dollar bill symbolizes that narrative and we have practices of exchanging it for, I don't know, a soda or whatever. So, so that's just one small example of yeah. how narratives have allowed us to kind of uh, go to like, you know, organize in some millions of mm. ways that individuals hold it, but the whole, the collective holds it. And that also is permeates every back down to every individual. So, so what's, what, what's the, the connection here? So, um, the, in racialized America, the white ruling class, uh, wanted to be seen as righteous and fair. So mm-hmm. kind of in the historical documents, they, they, they knew slavery was wrong, but they wanted to be seen as righteous and fair and, and really kind of pious. Like there's like a religious element there. They wanted to be seen as pious. So they, but they wanted to maintain racialized America. They wanted to maintain slavery, you know, um, that people of color as inferior. And so they had a couple of narratives that they, they kind of threw around and yep. they, they employed. So like theologians, theologians said that blacks had descended from Ham and were therefore inherently cursed. Mm-hmm. So there's a theological argument there. Doctors, that, uh, they would talk about like how uh, you know the, the, the black communities were like living in poor kind of um, situations. And so therefore, there was a health threat and a safety threat to the larger society. So you need to keep them in there contained, basically, like quarantined. Um, so, so doctors would, would actually talk about that. Bio, biologists would make the argument that IQ was lower uh, and therefore inferior. And so, of course, they, they, they had these narratives that, that existed. And then they had symbols, white-only signs, uh, media depiction of black Americans. So these are just symbolic re- representations of this narrative that just reinforced it. And then the practices, laws forbidding slave freedom from lynchings, uh, redlining and housing um, uh, residential kind of areas. Uh, so, so these things like create a, a collective memory, societal memory, that doesn't go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that if you if you actually get rid of, uh, if you get rid of uh, the practice of slavery, you get rid of some of those symbols. You can't burn crosses on people's lawns anymore. You get the new you get the Jim Crow laws because the narrative hasn't changed. The practices change. You could outlaw something, but the narrative hasn't changed. So the narrative then still produces a new set of symbols and practices, Jim Crow. You get rid of Jim Crow, and you still get a new set of practices and symbols, the new Jim Crow, um, you know, just referencing the, the um, you know, criminal justice system, uh, that book. Uh, so, so if we are to have a role in being anti-racist, uh, walking against the escalator of our culture, this is a Beverly Tatum metaphor, mm-hmm. that, that racism and racialized America is like an escalator. Whether you're passive or actively racist, you're, go- you're on the escalator. Yep. You know, you, you on it. Um, and she, probably, she would include people of color, too. Like there's an internalized mm-hmm. racism that you kind of passively agree with. And, you, and so if you don't turn around on the escalator and walk against the escalator, you're, you're, you're going with the flow. And so then what is, if, if collective memory and our, the way that we understand each other uh, is based on narrative, then, then is it the role of the church then to countermand those narratives? That's like, okay, we could say, well, I should like love across cultures. 
you know, and that would apply to everybody, right? We should love people across cultures. Yeah. But that doesn't undo the curse of the narrative. We, we're not doing anything to counter it. That if we actually want to undo the curse of the narrative, we have to have a counter narrative. And that when we have a counter narrative, yeah. it actually is spiritual warfare, right? Because we're going against things that enslave nations. Hmm. So it's not just a law. Because yep. the law can change. And we've seen this over time now in America. Yeah. We've seen things change and progress, and yet still things seem to be very similar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's a frustration. But I'm not sure we've fully embraced our call as the church to counteract the, the false narratives. Now, yeah, that's not my perspective as a white dude, kind of thinking about these subjects, but really interested in kind of your response. What are your thoughts? What am I missing? Yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's a great model to use as we think about what's happening currently and history, history, and as we think about multi-ethnicity and reconciliation. I, uh, I you know, mo- most folk will call it this. There's two Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and simply put, if I had to simplify it, there's the America that people of color know and experience. And then there's the America that mostly white, but it's the dominant culture experiences. Mm -hmm. And there's a narrative in order to hold that up, to hold up the dominant culture, to keep power where it is, um, to give security to those uh, who have historically had it, who have had... um, who have had power and prestige throughout history. Yeah, yeah. For those who are disenfranchised, they know another side. I actually think the church is supposed to bring the truth to light, and they are supposed to hold that narrative that 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 has the whole story in it. Yeah, yeah. So in thinking about that, I, I, it makes me think about the Israelites mm-hmm. uh, and... They were called, you know, the initial call to Abraham from God was that I will make you a great nation. Mm-hmm. I will, uh, the narrative was I will make you a great nation. And, and you know, the na- all nations will know who I am through Yeah, you. all peoples, yeah. All people. Uh, and, of course, the Israelites, you know, they sway back and forth. They, 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 they get put in bondage. And there's something that happens to them while they're in bondage. There's a, a doubt from being in bondage for so long. And then when they come out and they're free, they still kind of waver back and forth because there's the this other religious practices that's kind of uh, yeah. infected yeah. Um, who they were called to be and who, who they were supposed to be. Um, and in the, I mean, if, you know, fast forward to Jesus. Um, he brings... Uh, he kind of brings like the hammer of truth. Like this is, this is what it means to follow God. This is who God is, mm-hmm. uh, and this is what it means to follow. This is what it means to be the people God has called you to be. Um, and there's I don't know. There's a the, uh, a calling out of that, and he sets the narrative straight. Yeah, yeah there's a narrative about Messiah, mm-hmm. of what Messiah should be, yep. and he's like, mm, nope. Yeah. Nope. And in fact, the Israelites were living a yeah. narrative. They thought this is who we are as Israelites. This is who we're supposed to be. The, the, 
the, all the religious structures that they had built around yes. it, it was around a narrative. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They had practices. Um, lots of symbols. Lots and lots of <laughs> symbols. Uh, and maybe, maybe the biggest symbol was this temple. Yes. But here's this temple that is segregated. Yes. Uh, Gentiles could only go so far. Yes. Women, Women. could only yep. go so far. Yep. Um, and, of course, Jesus breaks that down with his yeah. death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and so we actually have, like, the narrative of our soul, like the, the story of Jesus, the story of God on earth, that narrative is actually our true narrative. Like, when we say yes to Jesus, that, that becomes mm-hmm. us. Like, we, this is a narrative we go by. And even that as— Is that for you—is that, like, the hidden in Christ thing? Yeah. So I, because we're hidden in Christ, because we're his hidden narrative Christ. now is our narrative? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, so uh, we look at that and we say uh, we, we, we come behind the narrative of Jesus. Yeah. And now every narrative in our lives submits to the narrative of God yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, maybe the most significant part of that for me is that it's a narrative of grace. It's a narrative of God coming into the world, being rejected, but still loving fully. Um, and there's a grace that's there. The, uh, for me, as somebody who is a representative of maybe a historically disenfranchised folk, um, and I look at the narrative as, as someone who believes in God, um, and I see a God who doesn't shy away from evil, calls yeah. it out, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and calls people to better, mm-hmm. to, to live better when i think about the church mm-hmm. um i'm thinking that is the call of the church to call out the full narrative and point people to the narrative that we should be following now here's the thing here's the yeah, thing yeah bring it down as a black man who grew up in a black church i feel like that has been happening all my life mm-hmm. black folk have not been <clears throat> hiding from okay. the true narrative they carry the fullness of it yeah. In fact, you know, I, I say this uh, not to be cliche, but to, because it's maybe the most understandable. But even the narrative that MLK was trying to push forward, mm-hmm. he wasn't preaching hate. He wasn't predominant we need to overthrow the, this, this predominant, <laughs> the predominant <laughs> whiteies uh, and, and replace them. Yeah. His thing was we need to save the soul of America. Yeah, yeah. We need to save its soul. Which says, and, and he included us. He, he he yeah. He was like, no, us. We do this together. Yeah 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 yeah. In a in a in a, in a time where the symbol of America was racist. Yeah. He called himself American. That's right. We are American. We need to save yeah. the soul of America. I'm fighting for America. He yes. didn't say well, we fighting for black folk. That's you right. know you know, saving the soul was to correct the 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 hurt that black folk were incurring, but. He, his thing was, I want to save the soul of America, understanding somehow yes. holding on that we are one. Mm. We're call, and, mo, and most folk who have been kind of, uh, who are activists, folk of color, um, they lean into, and we, I think they believe and know that the original documents of our forefathers, all men are created equal. That is God-breathed. That's, mm-hmm. that's scripturally correct. Yeah. So, yeah, it's actually, they got, by accident, a bunch of deists, yeah, accidentally got it right. It was like those words, <laughs> that symbol, yeah. that document, mm-hmm. is correct. It's good. That's got breathe. Your narrative behind it, <clears throat> yeah, is crap. 
Yeah. yeah. And even MLK knew that, and folk of color have known that. In yeah. fact, uh, in most uh, stories, if you follow the Latino story and the activists who were who were big in, in their their narrative, you follow even some. Uh, Asian American stories, and I say Asian American, understand that there's Japanese, Chinese, yes, yeah. Korean, like there's a lot Larger. of different stories yeah. that go through the history of America. But a lot of them, most of them call, they're calling America to that symbol. Remember this. Yeah. Live a different narrative. Like actually live out that narrative. Yeah. Um, I can see now for what I've seen is uh, the folk, and if I had to talk about the church, is so entangled with this political narrative mm -hmm. that it shies away or dilutes the narrative they call to, like the deep, the, the truth mm -hmm. of God, yeah, yeah. the narrative that includes slavery, it includes Jim Crow, new Jim Crow, that, that looks at the current uh, systems around us and, and calls out the covert racism that's in it, that calls out the widening gap between rich and poor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and most of those those movements that's happened with people of color has called us back to that original narrative that lines up with the voice of God, but has been kind of under a narrative that says, no, we were great back then. Yeah. We were yeah. great back then. Let's let's be that great again. Yeah. Uh, let's bring it back. Yeah. 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 Scariest and, words imaginable. And <laughs> Yeah. And I'm just like, what's, what's happening scary. is that I, 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 Let's bring it back to Bombingham days. Yeah. It's like, seriously? That, Come was, on, man. that was better? Come on. I don't think so, man. I, 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 some folks say, you know, history is written by the victors. I actually think, I, I like to say history is written by the most privileged, mm -hmm. um, the folk that can afford the ink, the books, and the publishing. <laughs> um, well, their libraries don't get burned down. You know, yeah. there you go. They, they don't get bombed. They, yeah. uh, uh, but I would say, actually, true history has been carried um, orally. Yeah. And the voice of folk of color have always told the true historical narrative yeah. that we need to hear. Mm -hmm. And so I, it, and that's a general statement, but I think in the church, mm -hmm. they need to hear the voices of color because they carry the actual history. Right. And they right. carry the grace that has been, uh, I think that God has instituted since the beginning of time. I mean, what other group has known the true narrative, called it out, and still said, but I'm Christian. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that and women. You know, women. And I mean, <laughs> when you say women of color. <laughs> it's on. Yeah. That's who should be, writing the, should be writing the history books. Yeah. That's who <clears throat> we should be yeah. establishing our narratives from. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it makes me think, you know, of... Well, I mean, there's the the Amistad scene, you know, where the dude stands up in the courtroom, you know, and he's like looking at the scriptures, the Exodus narrative, um, mm -hmm. and that being like applied a couple hundred years ago, like African slaves going, like we we understand this narrative is different. You're telling us we're inferior, mm -hmm. and but we we think that there's actually a story here that says that we're actually being called into the promised land, you know? And I just think that's so important. And mm. what MLK does as far as like saving the soul of America, I think that's right. There's, that is a part of saving that soul is that that has been carried, 
particularly in America, if you get outside the United States, there is some some dominant group that is carrying that grace. Yeah. That's that true story. But in America is primarily the African American community that historically has done that um, mm-hmm. as a as a as the tip of the spear into reconciliation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so there's a lot to like learn from that and say, man, we, you know, what have what has happened in the past? I do wonder about the present, if that's still continuing in, let's say, the black church, or or those are those waters getting muddied a little bit, um, and and also, you know, I think MLK is a, a good example that I think he's I I could be wrong, but I think he did start with theology, eschatology you know, the nature of God before his activism, Hmm. you know? And I just wonder how important that is, not because of, like, theology proper, but because of this narrative thing, like having to firmly establish the concept of justice in the character of God, Mm -hmm. you know? The other classic counterexample or or slightly different example is Malcolm X, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's different. You know, he has a different counter-narrative, you know, and a different result, Right. So uh, whether that's good or bad, we, we talk about that some other time. <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot to learn from from Malcolm X and, and that whole black power movement. Yeah. But yeah. Um, actually, I mean, quite a bit. But but I do wonder the importance of that going forward, at least in our present day, you know, um, because I see the again, the, I thought it was a great example that MLK, he's calling us together as Americans, you know. And it does seem that um, people are fighting each other about symbols and practices and vilifying the other person, the mm-hmm. other, which is then exacerbating the division. But, but we're not called to anything else. We're not called to anything. To, to where are we called? To whom are we called? And there doesn't seem to be that. I, I, I'm not hearing that as much. You know, there's a lot of like finger pointing. Twitter's the popular example. The kicking boy on this is just like go on Twitter and you'll just see there's a lot of things being said and a lot of like uh, darts being thrown. Yeah. But very few people are calling us into something else together. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just wonder about that importance of that and maybe looking back as as a model. MLK being you know probably the most famous one. And, uh, but, I mean, historically, the black church, you know, which he was just an extension of the black church, going, yeah, we, we need this. And I'm th- even thinking, like, some of the laws that NAACP and some of their work early on. Yeah. But they weren't just, like, trying to tackle laws. They had a counter-narrative of black folks are humans. Yes. <laughs> like, fully human. Yeah. You know? We know this to be true. We, yeah, we get the Supreme Court has said X, Y, and Z. You know, you're not fully human. We get we're a, you you were saying we're a fraction of a human, but we got we got something else that we're working out of. So they weren't just trying to counter a law; they were trying to live into this thing, this other narrative, this true narrative that's uh, black people are human, like one hundred percent human yep. type yep. of thing. And just how important that is. And maybe I, I I'm just interested. Like, are we, have we lost some of that? Are we losing? Is is that just muddy nowadays? Is it just easier just to attack people and go after folks without calling them together, with with a unifying kind of like, yo, this is what we're saying, that that all of us can can kind of get on board with, you know? Um, I don't know if that all that makes sense. 
Oh, wait, it sounds like you're saying, should there be something, some unifying narrative that we call people to? And has a church lost that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not saying like one specific story or something, but like a, a call that's like, it, no, it's a, it's a call into something mm-hmm. rather than just a call against something. I don't think the NAACP was just called against some of these laws. I think they were they were trying to live into a truth, a myth, yeah. a story, you know. Um, and so, yeah. are we are we mudding the waters when we just come against things, practices, and symbols, and even have the victory? Yeah, you can't you can't redline anymore. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> it's still the same, you know. Yeah. I- so we say church. I'm gonna do my best to to de- delineate when we're talking about big church, just church as a whole. Yeah. And then when I'm talking specifically about like white evangelicals and yeah, yeah, black yeah. church, even yeah. understanding saying black church, there's a lot of different denominations and it's a it's a large specific. umbrella. Yeah, it's a large umbrella. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, but uh. So I I think there is a narrative being said, uh, a narrative of going, like, to go forward. I think white church, especially big denominations or, yeah, big denominations or movements that's predominantly white, um, they're so far behind uh, that they're trying to be convinced that of what the problem is. Mm Mm-hmm. What the narrative that there is there a problem? Is there a problem? <laughs> okay, that's they're really convinced that they need a new narrative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that they're that it's just holding them back. Mm-hmm. But, um, like I mean, when I we talked about in our first podcast about how we grew up. Uh, one thing maybe I didn't say is that I, when I grew up, taking care of people who were sick in the hospital. Uh, Caring about the neighborhood—that was just—that was just part of the, it's part of what the church was. Right. It wasn't like an extra thing that we do. It was just like no, it's what the church does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's who we are. We should be a church. That now, my church, we, you know, folk wanted to really know they were before they went out and did ministry. Uh, but for the most, but it still was just part of our DNA. Like we care about our neighbors. We care about the neighborhood. My granny, probably the best example, who was like really active in the neighborhood, helping people get habitat homes, mm-hmm. uh, leading marches, uh, like uh, marches against drugs in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was just that was part of our story, um, and even now, uh, it's a natural part of the. Uh, there's always been so even I, I, maybe I'll take it to my home. My my mom uh, always taught me the idea of love them anyhow, understanding that and there's gonna be folk that hurt you, but we are called to love them anyhow. Mm-hmm. That does something for a kid when you grow up with ra- issues of when you grow up and you experience issues of racism. Um, because you have this person that you, maybe the person that you trust and love the most, uh, your mom, who is telling you to love them anyhow, even when you experience the deepest hate. Um, 
Now that's that's a narrative of like this is who we are supposed to be as mm-hmm. Jesus followers. Mm-hmm. We experience hate, but we love anyhow. And that forces me to wrestle with how am I gonna love these folk? That's deep discipleship when you're young, man. Yeah. It, but how that's it deep. makes you like how I'm supposed to like this bully who pushed me or this person who who called me and were or like how am I supposed to love them anyhow? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, you you know I grow up and I I start understanding the systems around me and how they're how like racism just has you know that narrative of racism have hasn't been uh, rooted out and so there's it's still in the systems around me and, and and now you know there's folks predominantly white folk who's benefiting from this and I'm supposed to love them anyhow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I see it in my history, um, and so while I, I've heard preachers and communicators and communities and activist leaders who actively talk speak against the narrative, I would say uh, communities of color and folk who are doing it right have always had a uh, an, another narrative to go to to go into, yeah, uh, yeah. to live into. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I wonder. So as we talk about like, uh, is, should we uh, should we also have a narrative to go for? I wonder if that narrative is being spoken is just being spoken by the historically disenfranchised, whose voice has been historically uh, mm-hmm. silenced or just not listened to. Right. Right. Um, and so I actually think there is a message of going forward and what it looks like to go forward. And I actually believe, I'm starting to understand that there is folk who are actually trying to do that. I, I think me and your story unintentionally mm-hmm. has, been, has, 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 has linked itself to a narrative that I think uh, goes with somebody that you mentioned before that, that is linked to like the story of John Perkins and what he's trying yeah. to do and folk like him. Mm-hmm. have tried to do um and that is that is that is like and that's what i would call intentional like the narrative that we need to think about is intentional reconciliation so yeah. last time we said folk tell your story and don't leave any mess out of it yeah that's starting a new narrative for that relationship that's the end of part one go ahead and make sure you check out the feed for part two